0: Hey everyone, it's Reed. Before we get started, I just want to ask everybody to keep your eyes and ears open as we get deeper into twenty twenty three. If you have questions, email us podcast at lincolnproject.us. We want to hear what you're hearing, we want to see what you're seeing, we want to know what you're wondering about. Podcast at Lincolnproject.us. Give us your questions, your thoughts, your concerns, and anything you think might be of interest to the fight for American democracy. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm once again joined by Rick Wilson, my brother in arms, fellow co-founder of The Lincoln Project, host of LPTV's The Breakdown, author of the New York Times bestsellers Running Against the Devil and Everything Trump Touches Dies. But if that's not enough, He's also the host of the podcast Rick Wilson's The Enemies List. Rick, it's been great having you today. No, I'm just kidding. thank you, Rick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for coming back.
1: Yeah, brother. Absolutely, man.
0: All right. So, look, I mean, we talk every day, probably 10 times a day, but we don't get to do each other's shows that often, just Nature of the Beast. But let's start down the street in your hometown of Tallahassee, Florida, where Ron DeSantis, who's traveling around spending his super PACs money to build crowds for a book no one wants to read, flew back to Florida for the sole purpose, Rick, of going and doing a press conference where he threatened the Disney corporation, the mouse, headed by none other than the legendary Bob Iger, to say that he's so unhappy with Disney making him look like a fool that perhaps he would jack hotel taxes, perhaps he would build toll roads, Or, as he said today, Rick, maybe he'd build a prison next door. Tell us what's going on there. Well, look, Ron DeSantis is a tiny, tiny man right now suffering from what I call
1: electile dysfunction. He knows he's not going to beat Donald (laughs) Trump in the primary. He knows (laughs) I almost kept a straight face. He knows he's not going to beat Donald Trump in the primary. He knows he's getting his ass handed to him by his own donors over his six week abortion ban. And so now he's flailing for something to change the subject and get everybody focused on something else. And his idea that he's going to go after the what he calls Disney, a woke California corporation, except, of course, that it's also one of Florida's largest employers and the source of, I think it's like one and a half percent of Florida's total tax revenue comes to people coming to Walt Disney World every year. And he's doing it based on a completely spurious, and frankly, I know we're supposed to be careful about the word fascistic, but he's doing this to Disney because when he put out his don't say gay bill which they advertise as an attack on all the groomer pedophile gays in the state. When he put that bill out, Disney said, no, we're a welcoming company. We believe in the rights of all of our guests, our coworkers, our friends, and our allies. And it sent Ron DeSantis around the corner. It broke his brain. So imagine hating gay people so much that you become a joke. You become the Captain Ahab of going after a multi-billion dollar company that could shit out two-thirds of its lawyers right now and still have 10 times more lawyers than the state of Florida could ever afford to hire. Imagine being that butthurt all the time about a fucking cartoon mouse not agreeing to do what you wanted them to do and come out and say, of course all gay people are pedophiles and they must be destroyed because that's what this is about. This is not going to stop where it is right now. They know there's like a one, two, three-step process in all these things. Remember... First, it was, oh, we just want sensible restrictions on abortion. Then it was, well, we're going to overturn Roe, but no one would ever be so crazy to do a 15-week ban. Then it was, 15-week ban, that's not as bad as a six-week ban. No one's going to do a six-week ban. And then it was, no, no one's going to do a six-week ban, and they won't ban the morning after pill. So they do the same kind of flow. And what they're doing right now with LGBT folks in this country is saying, oh, well, you know, we only want to stop the groomers and the pedophiles. And then it was, oh, we want to stop the drag queens because obviously they're the groomers and the pedophiles. They're not. And then it's going to be, well, gay adoption is wrong. And that, by the way, that bill is coming next year. It's pre-filed. They're going to do it. And then it's going to be, well, Obergefell was wrongly decided gay marriage isn't valid in Florida anymore. If people don't understand there's a march towards fewer and fewer rights and freedoms and liberties and that guys like DeSantis, that's their M.O., well, then they need to wake the fuck up. Because that's what's happening right now. He's going after a private company that has done nothing but good for this state, that has for years and years and years employed tens of thousands of people, paid billions in tax dollars into the state's coffers, is a good environmental citizen, is a good corporate citizen, and has donated scads of money to the Republican Party of Florida over the years. If you don't think they're going to keep spreading that out over more companies and that Ron DeSantis won't keep doing this, you guys are wrong.
0: Well, and, and Rick, just looking here, it says that Florida's tourism activity generated $13.3 billion in federal tax revenue and $11.4 billion in state and local tax revenue. This is from 2017. So take COVID for what it's worth. But still, you know, we've seen a lot of, you know, just talking to a financial guy today, an economic guy today, that, you know, one of the things, just as an aside on the economy, that's driving the fed to distraction is that americans just won't stop spending money (laughs) right 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 and as you know the reason why floridians don't have a state income tax is because companies like disney and your beautiful beaches both on the atlantic and the gulf side bring so many people year-round and now he seems hell-bent on doing wrong by the average floridian whether or not that's the disney employee whether or not that's the one of 3.2 million African-American Floridians to whom he doesn't want their history to be taught. As you mentioned, the LGBT community, which I think if you went down to the probably South Beach, right, probably doing just fine would be my guess that the anti-woke experiment of, of Ron DeSantis is probably failing pretty poorly down there. But to your point about, you know, and Tom Nichols, friend of the show, friend of ours, did a good thread on you know, why you shouldn't call Trump fascist. But I think you could probably start to slot DeSantis into that box because he is absolutely going after companies, individuals, right? He fired a, a prosecutor over, I think, in your home, your original hometown of Tampa. Yep, Tampa, Andrew Warren. Because he didn't like the things he was doing. He's systematically trying to denude Florida's public universities of any independent thought that he doesn't agree with. I should say, of an independent thought. And so this is one of those where it's like, okay, look, you know, they say with Trump, you know, if they could do it to him, they can do it to you, which is true, because if you break the law, you should be prosecuted. If Ron DeSantis can do it in Florida, they're damn well thinking about where else they can do it. You know, one of the points that you just made read that it's really important that people haven't really like, processed enough yet.
1: DeSantis now has a bill that has passed. He's signed it, and it gives his political appointees all of the power to hire and fire every academic position in the schools. So we're going to see shit like Seb Gorka running a goddamn like foreign policy studies department somewhere. But his summer school class will be suede vest for beginners. Exactly. McLovin. It's going to end up being these all these weirdo MAGA types. These Hillsdale refugees are going to come drifting in to every single academic venue in the state. There's a reason for that. They don't like academia. They don't like knowledge. They don't like research. They don't like things that don't fit into a very narrowly spaced worldview now. And they believe that the traditional liberal arts curriculum, not some secret progressive Alinskyite bullshit that only exists in their heads, they believe that being taught critical thinking now is woke. They believe that is destroying America. And they're gonna really go at academia hard in the next few years. They they're gonna go after people they've already said if people express the wrong views, then we're gonna have these boards of trustees fire them. Tenure's gone. You don't get tenure anymore. There's no academic freedom if you don't have tenure. And so look, you should underestimate his chances of being president now, but you should never, never underestimate the damage he could do if he became president in
0: the future. So let's talk about his proto-presidential run because, you know, you mentioned that there was a Financial Times story over the weekend that a major Republican donor who had backed DeSantis said that after the six-week abortion ban and after the book banning stuff, that he was out and that a lot of his friends were out too.
1: Without breaking a confidence, he was only the messenger of a group of other billionaires
0: around him that Ron DeSantis desperately needs to keep happy and they ain't happy. I guess, Rick, this is dawning on some of these guys, a lot of them live in New York or Los Angeles, that, oh, wait a second, like we thought this guy was better than Trump. And to me, as I've said before, and the listeners are probably sick of hearing, I've always thought the difference between Trump and and DeSantis was aesthetic, because on the substantive side, whereas Trump is transactional, which is he'll do anything for anybody who thinks that it will help him politically. And he does have, I believe, a lot of bona fide fascists around him and Leninists, for that matter. They span the authoritarian gamut. DeSantis has proven, right, that he is willing to systematically do these things with state power. We've also talked about this Florida Guard, which is some sort of weird essay brown shirt thing that people are, you know, are willing to do. But now he's upset the donor class. And aside from the donor class, Rick, and what passes for conservative intelligentsia in Washington, (laughs) D.C., he doesn't really have a constituency.
1: No, there aren't a bunch of people who wake up in the morning except the guys at National Review and say, you know, Ron DeSantis is the glistening future of American politics because he's so charismatic and he's so put together because he's not any of those things. The guy is uncomfortable in his own skin. He's an unhappy, cranky person. He's a bitch. He's not somebody who has that sort of natural grace you need to run for president. And say what you will about Trump, and I will say plenty of shit about Trump. He is the biggest asshole. He's evil. He's dark, all those things. But he has legitimate charisma when he is on the stump. He has legitimate charisma. It's misapplied. It's awful. I find it aesthetically ridiculous. But he has an appeal. No one's going to go out and throw their panties on the stage when Ron DeSantis comes out there.
0: No one. You mentioned Trump, so let's bring this together for a second, Rick, which is Trump has been attacking DeSantis personally. And then his, one of his packs, I'm not sure which, put out an ad about, you know, old pudding fingers, which attacked DeSantis not only for eating pudding, and I feel bad for whatever actor they made actually dip their fingers into chocolate pudding and eat it on camera. DeSantis's super PAC fired back over the weekend with this 30 or 60 second ad basically calling Trump anti-gun and all this other stuff. And as Stuart Stevens, our senior advisor and friend and partner in crime, said, congratulations to Ron DeSantis for running the first Trump general election ad. Now, they did it out of the super PAC, which is run by this guy, Jeff Rowe, who we know of. I think I've met him once. You know, they ran it digitally in Indianapolis, where the NRA convention was. And they ran it one time on Fox News Sunday. I think, you know, I don't know if it was national or Washington. But if you're going to attack, like, you know, the monster, are you really going to do it on policy when this is so clearly not bothered him or hurt him before when, as you talked about, like, you know, when Trump takes the stage and does his goofy dances, people go crazy for it. So the idea that Ron DeSantis is doing this, it also, I think somebody said this, I think it was Tim Miller said this last year, it further cements him as the, quote, anti-Trump candidate, which we don't believe there's really any room for if you're also going to be an authoritarian. look. A lot of our old friends in D.C., not all,
1: it's taken a lot of them a while to get where we're at, where you and I have been for five years, but a lot of our old friends in D.C. still see this day where they can go back into the matrix, where they can go back home, where the nest will be warm and waiting, and everybody can go back together and talk about limited government and low taxes and strong national security, and it's all bullshit. And I I make a lot of fun of the National Review guys because, well, they deserve it. But they rested all their hopes in Ron DeSantis. They wrote hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of articles in the last two years about how Ron DeSantis was the tallest, smartest, handsomest man in the room, and every woman wanted to sleep with him and every man wanted to be him, and that only he could save us. And they had to look away from all of this use of abuse of power, the use of government for petty personal political vendettas. They had to look away from everything that defined who he really is. And they have to be comfortable. With something that is obviously not conservative, not restrained use of state power, nothing like that. They have to look away from all of the things that define this guy.
0: Now that they're getting that America's gotten a better look at him, it's not going to go as well. Well, that's the other part too, as I as I noted briefly that the same super PAC that's running these pretty bad ads. Is also having to pay to generate crowds for his book tour because nobody wants to come see the guy. The hardest job in politics, my friend, as you know
1: better than anybody.
0: Right. It has nothing to do, I mean, at this level, money is great, but if you don't have a candidate that anybody really wants to see take the stage, you could spend all the money you want. Nobody's going to show up. All right. So, Rick, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about how you see this debt ceiling fight coming up. So, as we're recording this, Speaker Kevin McCarthy gave a speech up at Wall Street this morning where he said, among other things, that President Joe Biden was missing in action, that he was delinquent from the conversations, that he would have nothing to do with a, quote unquote, clean debt ceiling increase, that, you know, they would only want massive cuts, including to things like SNAP benefits, which are obviously food benefits for very low income Americans. He was actually challenged on that by a reporter who said, well, you signed three clean debt ceilings under Trump. What's changed now? And McCarthy didn't have a good answer, not surprisingly. So my question for you is, other than his gavel, does Kevin McCarthy have a friend in Washington, D.C.? Well, I mean, he's got a pet Luntz.
1: (laughs) Frank Luntz likes him. but They're
0: roommates, so I'd hope so.
1: (laughs) Listen, McCarthy has no allies. He has no friends. You know, this week, Jeff Miller had to go out and scramble to save anheuser Bush's two-point-something million dollars a year because the, the Congress decided they were going to fight against woke Bush beer. Bud Light. Woke Bud Light, whatever it is. I, I don't drink beer, so I'm ignorant of the beer talk. But the fact that that's about as much as they can muster in D.C. right now, and McCarthy writing these tweets about, Mr. President, you have to do this or that, guess what? The president can only sign or not sign the fucking bill. Kevin has to produce it. They're the majority. Do your fucking job, Kevin. But he won't do his job because my theory of the case is they want to drive the economy over the cliff, scare the shit out of the stock market, and have a couple of weeks of Fox saying, why did Joe Biden crash the economy? Why not agreeing to cut snap benefits or whatever demon they pick out? They think they can crash the economy and get away with it
0: you know, as we get closer and closer to whatever the deadline is, you know, there'll be some angst and then the stock market will react badly. This is not an economic argument for these people. This is an ideological argument. And Tina Wynn, who writes for the Puck newsletter, had uh, a story out, I believe, either late last week or over the weekend about the machinations within McCarthy's conference in the U.S. House, and that the Freedom Caucus is now being led around by the nose by this outside group, this outside sort of America first MAGA think tank, Who are saying things, Rick, like default is a fiction, right? That like the government can't actually default on its debt and that cuts, cuts, cuts are the only way they should go. And you should not in any way compromise on this stuff. And, you know, Rick, he's only got a nine seat majority to begin with. And now you've got Gates saying he actually said this on the record. We haven't gotten nearly enough for the hostage we have in hand. I mean, that's pretty blunt. I'm sort of at a loss because even he could come up with something. Even he recognized the dynamic at play, which is remember that neither Chuck Schumer nor Mitch McConnell leaders in the Senate want anything to do with this guy. The president's happy to watch him swing right until and unless something really needs to be done. And his own conference hates him. Kevin McCarthy would be a tragic figure if he wasn't a coward, but he's a
1: coward. If Kevin McCarthy stood up and said. Screw this. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm not going to crash the economy. I'm not going to wreck the country. I'm not going to be an asshole. And he got destroyed and got thrown out of office. You know what would happen? People would say, you know what? At least he died trying. At least he went down fighting. But instead, he'll slither and he'll weave and he'll bob and he'll try everything he can. Because as you said the other day, all he fucking wants is the portrait. All he wants is the comfortable lobbying job after this where people slap him on the back and say, Mr. Speaker, how are you? That's all he cares about. He's so disconnected from caring about the country or giving a shit about anything that I will not, for one, have any sense of pity or mercy when his day comes. And it is coming quickly. The other wedge he's in is the money Kevin raises from Wall Street, private equity firms, from hedge funds, from major banking interests. Enormous amounts of money, folks. Enormous, enormous amounts of money. And they are many of them represented by a lobbyist who is his best friend named Jeff Miller. And Jeff Miller is going to Kevin now and saying, dude, you can't do this. Our guys are going to take a big hit. They're going to take a big hit. It's going to hurt them. It's a lot harder to say to a sophisticated investment type, by the way, it's okay to crash the economy and ruin our national credit scores and mess up every possible economic indicator just because we want to own the libs. It's a hard sell for those guys. They're not going to buy it. And so Kevin's in a really bad wedge there, and unfortunately, he's too chicken shit to throw out vicious anti-Semites like Paul Gosar, who, folks, if you're not familiar, Paul Gosar is full-on anti-Semitic now. He talks about, like, the Jews, like Anthony Blinken will kill us all in the war that Russia will launch against us, and he's going to back George Santos for re-election, and he's going to back every other weirdo and skell and scumbag and drifter. An uncaught serial killer in that caucus. He's going to do it for all of them because he needs that little majority he's got.
0: Well, and so, Rick, let's wrap up here talking about something that you said a minute ago, which is this whole idea of owning the libs, which is I think that this is the one thing that we really have to remind ourselves of and we have to remind our listeners of, which is none of this has anything to do with running the country. It only has to do with two things, which is the accumulation of power, and owning the libs. They love to see the freak out. And I think that's one of those things you saw in Tennessee, was it 10 days ago or whatever, when they threw out the two African-American legislators, which is they thought that this was going to be great, right? We'll really get them this time. And what did he do? They made these two guys superstars, right? They made themselves look inhuman. And because they're not very good at this, as I mentioned on a previous show. Our friend Judd Legum found out that the you know the speaker of the Tennessee House doesn't live in his district, still claims per diem for everything, and you know got a screaming deal on a house in Nashville. Right. By the way, I saw pictures of that house for six hundred thousand
1: dollars. Get the fuck out of here. Right.
0: I mean, only Clarence Thomas could hope for a better deal.
1: Right. My daughter and son-in-law live in East Nashville and paid close to that for something that is not that fancy by an order of magnitude. That's a three million dollar condo. In my opinion, the other thing that happened and our friend Byron Manuka was finding all this stuff is once you start stirring the hornet's nest and playing these games, the Speaker of the House now is having to answer not only for his first girlfriend, who is a lobbyist, whose husband is also married to the deputy communication director for Governor Bill Lee, but now his second girlfriend as well. And this is all poking the hornet's nest for the wrong reasons. They thought it was going to be cute and funny and they were going to own the libs and they were going to play this game. And there was a recording released over the weekend of the secret caucus meeting they had wasn't so secret. And they're like, well, these Democrats are all the
0: enemies of us in America. And if they believe that behind
1: closed doors, they're not just malicious, they're insane.
0: Well, but it's also, I think it's also a crystallization of how they actually feel. You know, again, I think that we should not call the Republican Party conservative. There is a, I believe, a liberal and conservative spectrum. They are not on it. They are somewhere out in space, close to Mars. But just as an aside, remember, it was Justice Thurgood Marshall who once famously said they always forget about the girlfriend, which is there's always that one thing. Sometimes it's an actual girlfriend, but sometimes it's the thing like a guy like Judd out there figuring out, wait, 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 this guy doesn't live in these places. And that's sort of the do as I say, not as I do. And I once saw a great bumper sticker, Rick, that said Karma's only a bitch when you are. <laughs> but I think that that's one of those things where we think about this and we believe as we close here that The Republican Party should be on its way to smashing defeat 18 months hence. But I'm always hesitant. I always sort of snap back to reality because I'm like, wait, 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 wait. We're just in spring training now, Rick, for the crazy. That's right.
1: This may be the end of the beginning, but it is not the beginning of the end. And we're going to have a long road and the Republicans are going to try to make every other issue the issue. They're going to try to turn crime and transgender people and everything else into their latest, you know, panic. And look, they may well be successful, Reed. They're very good at this. And so people who think they're going to win on prescription drug prices or any other issue need to get their heads out of their asses. You're going to have to fight a defensive battle if you play that game. You've got to go on offense against these people when they do the things that they did in Tennessee, when they do the things like they're doing right now uh, in Washington on the debt ceiling and other stuff, you've got to push on them. You've got to go attack them. You can't wait for them to do something and then say, well, our policy is superior because blah, blah, blah. no, you got to fight them all the time. If you ever let up, they will sneak up and beat you.
0: Absolutely. And look, that's the one thing that we we've learned since we were young campaign operatives, and I think we've learned even more so in the last three and a half years, which is it's all well and good to want to do everything to win and to be able to feel good about everything and to be intellectual and high-minded and to say I live up here on the high road, but the truth is is that Sometimes the high road doesn't have as much traffic on it. When you can live up there, that's great. But once in a while, the low road is where the fight's actually happening. And I'm not saying that we enjoy going there, but I think that we're willing to go there as we've seen. And oftentimes you don't beat these people by trying to be the better person because here's what we know. Why do the bad guys always have a good chance of winning? Because they're willing to do anything. They are willing to do anything. And I'm not saying you have to be as bad as them, but you have to understand how bad they can be and take action to ensure they can't do it anymore. All right, Rick, before we let you go, where can everybody find you online and where can they find your podcast? They can find
1: my podcast at Resolute Square. It is the Enemies list. It's available where all fine podcasts are sold. You can find me online at the Rick Wilson on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm also on post if someday the Blue Hellbird site falls apart.
0: Absolutely. As always, gang, you can find me on Twitter and TikTok as long as it's legal at Reed Galen and on Instagram at Reed underscore Galen underscore LP. Rick Wilson, thank you for joining me as always. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. If you wanna message the podcast directly, please send an email to podcast at lincolnproject.us. And if you wanna personally join the fight to save our nation's democracy, visit jointheunion.us. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. I'll see you on the next episode.